Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Cast. And this is also going to be streamed later over the Letty Melnick's new Legend Sports Network, and we're very proud to be part of that. So here for our debut episode with Lenny, uh, we have former Mets 360 writer and current uh, college broadcaster Joe Vasile. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. And thank you very much, Brian. Always love coming on. All right, well, let's get right to it. Uh, lots of uh, big news with the, the new general manager shaking things up. And, of course, the uh, the big trade with the Seattle Mariners where the, the Mets uh, imported uh, uh, Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano. So I want to ask for your uh, opinions of the Cano mm-hmm. trade. So is that a, a big mistake or the biggest mistake of all time? <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, I like the trade. I, I don't see it as a mistake, you know. When the Mets, at the end of the 2018 season, came out, whether it was the Wilpons or any media report that said when they were looking for a new general manager, they wanted a general manager who thought they could compete in 2019. And I'm just glad that this trade really says that they're going to do more than just pay lip service to wanting to compete in 2019. I think that this is a trade that makes the Mets better uh, for the 2019 season. Now, look, you can... You can make the argument that you should have held on to to Jared Kelenic, and and I certainly understand that argument. Um, everyone says he's going to be this great player, but at the end of the day, he played 56 games in the minor leagues and was in Kingsport. Uh, he was at least two, three years, if he was fast-tracked, away from contributing at the major league level. So I don't really have a problem if you want to go for it in 2019 with trading that guy to get you an elite reliever and a second baseman who, even though he's 36 and is coming off a PED suspension, uh, I think still has a lot left in the tank and and has a lot to bring to the table next year. Now, I like how you just uh, casually put that in there, like he had a hangnail or something, (laughs) you know. Uh, Yeah, he's a 36-year-old second baseman with a PED suspension Mm -hmm. hanging over his head. But, you know, other than that, aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like to play? Yeah, and I know that I am kind of brushing that off a little bit, but... I mean, at the end of the day, I I do think that Robinson Cano can come and be a solid player for a year or two. I don't necessarily know how much he has. Exactly. Well, that's the problem, and that's why Seattle was so willing to get rid of him, among other reasons. I mean, they're I don't know what Jerry Depoto's doing tearing down that team, but um, you know, I feel like. Having to take on Robinson Cano for five years is is kind of the price of going out and dumping Jay Bruce, dumping Anthony Swarzak, and and bringing in uh, bring in Edwin Diaz as well. Well, how about we take back Swarzak? We we take back um, uh, Jay Bruce. We give them Cano, and, uh, and then we can just work on the the getting the reliever part. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Well. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse me, Joe. Let, um, mm-hmm. let me let me throw one thing in there. You said sure. you said that uh, you didn't know what the uh, the Mariners were doing, and I know this is a Mets podcast, but I, sure. I, I do think I've heard this uh, mentioned uh, more than once, and and I did want to address it, and just for the fact that the Mariners did win 89 games last year, yeah, but they had an unbelievable one one run record. Mm-hmm. And we know that the the one run records are at least as much luck as anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think their Pythagorean record was something like what the Mets ended up with last year. 
So yeah. uh, they they really really played over their heads. They were like 13 or 14 games over what their Pythagorean record said they were they were going to be, and I think in a, in a way that they they were smart, uh, looking to uh, uh, cut bait and uh, and and do it over again. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, and I do think that you're right in that. Seattle was certainly an overachieving team last year uh, for for most of it, especially when they were going through their big run. I, it's just been kind of surprising to see it maybe dismantled so fast as opposed to maybe trying to build in and, and build around a Gene Segura or a James Paxson instead of, all right, let's kind of sell high here and reload up and, and try and try and you know compete again in a couple of years down the road. But again, like you said, not to not to go too far down a Mariners track here. All right. Well, you you're a little more uh, bullish on the uh, the the big Cano trade than I am. <laughs> not that that's a huge barrier to get over, since I'm I'm pretty negative about it. But let me see if I can drag you down to my level of negativity. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of rumors flying around about uh, old BVW and mm-hmm. uh, uh, all of the moves that uh, he's at least discussing, if not actually doing. And one of those is uh, JT Realmuto. And mm-hmm. he's been linked to the Mets for, oh, I don't know, about a year now, I guess. Yeah. And uh, all different uh, permutations of the deal. And the latest uh, seems to be uh, a package headlined by either Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think about dealing one of our uh, young uh, outfielders for Real Muto? It's really tough. I mean, I've talked myself into liking the idea and then out of liking the idea so many times over the last 24 hours. Uh, And I could certainly see the argument made for both. I mean, catchers that hit like JT Realmuto, they they don't grow on treats. And if you have the opportunity to go out and, first of all, improve a position that you're weak at by going out and getting the best guy at that position in all of baseball, uh, it's very hard to say... Well, I want to hang on to Brandon Nemo or Michael Conforto in order to do that. Um, I would think, though, that if you do trade one of those two, you have to have a companion of another move to bring in an outfielder. Uh, I don't think that the solution is to trade one of the two of them and say, well, Juan Lagares is going to be our starting left fielder or right fielder this year. I don't think that that's a good idea. Um I've seen a lot of people kind of floating around, and, and obviously he's he's out there as a free agent as Yasmani Grandal. Grandal's really good. Um, the drop-off from Riomoto to him is not really that much, either offensively or defensively. So I think I'd probably be more comfortable if they just went out and signed him as a free agent. Um, but at the same time, if money's going to end up being a problem as it you know, we know that it, it can be with the Mets sometimes. Uh, I would probably be more willing to part with Conforto for Riomoto and, and hang on to Nemo. Um, and I know Ahmed Rosario's been a guy that's been floated around a little bit in the trade as well, but um, I would have to see the entire package of it because it, it just seems... It seems like something's weird. And I know everyone always points to, well, Derek Jeter, the Yankees, all that... But they dumped Giancarlo Stanton for much less than Michael Conforto and a couple of prospects. And obviously the money is is a big factor there too, but um, it seems like an awfully high asking price from 
from the Marlins, and and maybe they'd be willing to kind of settle for a lesser package that would allow the Mets to kind of keep both Nimmo and Conforto in the fold. Yeah, um, right now the uh, the the Marlins are kind of in the driver's seat. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, the catchers that are available in free agency, and there's some some good options there. But there's still, I think, more teams looking f- to mm-hmm. acquire a catcher than there are necessarily supply. So yep. y- you can't blame the Marlins for asking uh, what they're asking. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. you have to give it to them, but yep. um, uh, you know it's a it's a game of chicken. You know uh, who's going to blink first, and I think we saw with the uh, the Mariners deal that the the Mets kind of blinked first, and hopefully they don't repeat the mistake here. Uh, that same mistake that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to see either uh, Conforto or Nimmo uh, on on another team. So if, if that's the the cost, and and that's not the cost because it's those plus and yep. just the. Uh, the, the the huevos to ask for something like that uh, I mean I'm 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 a little bit at awe I mean I just I don't know how you say that with a straight face but uh, good for uh, for Jeter for asking because you never know unless you ask and, and the weirdest part about it also is if you if you're the Marlins you want you know they say look we want an MLB player back well I mean JT Real Muto is maybe one season closer to free agency than Michael Conforto is. It's not like there's that much of a difference between, you know, team control or anything like that. So it just seems weird that, you know, they they would demand an MLB player back for for an MLB player instead of. It, that almost kind of seems like you're spinning your wheels a little bit. And if you're the Marlins, it, it how backwards is that? You trade three great outfielders last off season, and then you trade your great catcher so that you can bring in an outfielder when you could have just, I don't know, kept Christian Yelich in the first place. All right, I want you to hold on to that thought. Yep. Why would you do that? All right, so we're, we're continuing to talk about uh, alleged ideas in the Mets front office, mm-hmm. and that's uh, uh, let's trade Noah Syndergaard for prospects and then turn around and then sign a free agent pitcher to replace Noah Syndergaard. I am against that with one exception. Um, like if you're going to go out and you're going to sign Jay Happ to replace Noah Syndergaard in the rotation unless you're getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back from the Padres I'm not I'm not thrilled with that trade you keep Syndergaard I think the only way that I could see them trading Syndergaard is, is going back to yet another rumor from a couple of days ago when they were supposedly linked to Corey Kluber if you bring in Kluber, I'm fine with trading Syndergaard. Like, really? And I, and I think anyone... Oh. Oh, I, got, I feel like I got a knife in my back. Okay, I'll explain. The reason why is because Kluber's about the only guy who's even quasi-available that's going to be an improvement from Syndergaard. So if you're basically swapping those two, and then you could trade Syndergaard to improve another area of need, whether it's going out and getting... The names I keep seeing floating around of you know Manuel Margot and Francisco Mejia or Austin Hedges or whoever from San Diego, you get a center fielder and a catcher back for Syndergaard. You bring in Kluber into the fold. Obviously, there's going to be a cost to that prospect-wise, but um, I'm okay with it. I would much rather they just hang on to Syndergaard though. That that's my that's my preferred situation. The Padres have allegedly made their three top prospects off limits. 
uh, in, in a deal for Syndergaard. And I'd say that any deal that didn't include two of those three top prospects is not mm -hmm. worth making. So um, th that's that's my line in the saying, not one, two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, funny enough, I actually have the, the Padres prospects up. Yeah, so Fernando Tatis is their first. Then Mackenzie Gore, who I guess was their first-round pick a couple of years ago, and, and then Mejia's number three, um, who they just got from... Cleveland um, so yeah I guess if those three guys are off the table it's it's a much less appealing trade um, from my standpoint at least for the Mets he's Joe and I'm Brian and you're listening to Mets 360 and we're talking about bad ideas attached to the new Mets GM <laughs> and continuing uh, that uh, that theme um, AJ Pollock free agent outfielder Mm -hmm. um, talking about him, uh, certainly if they were to trade either Conforto or Nemo, but it almost sounds like they're uh, talking, they're, they're expressing interest in him, even if both of those guys stay. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on A.J. Pollock? I'm pro A.J. Pollock. Um, <laughs> and I know I'm, I'm coming out in favor of just about everything. Um, You're on the payroll, aren't you, Joe? This uh, is your new job. Go ahead, I'll, make the announcement right now. I was going to say, they didn't renew Josh Lewin's contract. <laughs> uh, but no, no, not not on the payroll. But uh, but honestly, I've been a, a fan of A.J. Pollock's for a while, uh, going back a few years with uh, with Arizona. I've always been a fan of his game. Um, and I think certainly at the right price, he's an improvement for the Mets. I mean... They need a center fielder. You can't run three left fielders out there every day for another season. I mean, that's just madness. Um, you know, people like to bring up A.J. Pollock's injury history. Over the last three years, A.J. Pollock has played more games than Juan Ligaris and has been more productive oh, when he's hurdle. been healthy than Juan Ligaris. <laughs> I know, but, right. but <laughs> what, what else are you going to be doing in center field? What, what's the plan if you don't get Pollock? It's Juan Lagares, or yeah. you sh you put someone in there out of position, and play Michael Conforto there or Brandon Nemo there. When in reality, both of those guys are are, are corners. Well, Nimmo was a, a center fielder throughout mm -hmm. his career. We can yeah. debate whether he's good enough to play the position on the major league level, but it's not the the exact same thing as Conforto, who was mm -hmm. pretty much just impressed into duty. But I want to circle back to uh, Pollock and, and the injury history. And again, I think that you're you're brushing this aside. Uh, in the last In the last five years, how many times do you think A.J. Pollock has played 115 games? I know in the last three years he hasn't done it at all. So, <laughs> Once. just because I was looking Once. it up, yeah, I was going to say so. It can't be more than one or two. Um, and that—that's, I mean, that's a third of the season. Mm -hmm. And and the, there was two. There was two years where he was right out there. I think one year was 113, and the other was 112. Yeah. But um, the the other two are in are in double digits. Yeah, I was going to say. I I know 2016 he only played in like. 12 or 15 games or something like that because he had a, a real nasty injury in, right at the end of spring training. Um, but and look, Somebody's saying he's looking for Lorenzo Cain contract. Uh, he's not going to get that. Um, I think that's that's a little bit, uh, little bit of a pipe dream. But, I mean, look, if you can bring him in on, I don't know, I don't even know what money I would, I would go for. It wouldn't be a ton, but... Um, I would like to see him in a Met uniform. And a lot of that, again, is, is kind of my fandom of just 
liking watching the guy play, and I would like to see him play again. I'll tell you this. Another guy that I liked that was Michael Kadire, and we all know how well that worked out. Uh, not very well. All right, well, uh, talking about guys that uh, people enjoyed seeing uh, play, let's talk about Jeff McNeil, who mm -hmm. seems to, um, I don't know, be in a little bit of a, a tough situation after doing so well in mm -hmm. his uh, call-up last year. And, and now it, it looks like he's going to be asked to, to move over to, to third base and split time with uh, Todd Frazier. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you see a platoon there? How do you see things working out for McNeil? Um I see at least to start probably a platoon at third, uh, and just depending on how Frazier does, that can change and be fluid. Um, and, and obviously there's there's a lot of moves and wheeling and dealing to be done between now and April, or at least hopefully. Um, but I could almost see Jeff McNeil kind of taking in that role of, I don't want to compare him to Ben Zobrist, but that kind of Ben Zobrist role of a guy he could play third base he could play second base uh, I mean the guys played every position in the minor leagues uh, except for catcher and pitcher uh, so he can kind of be that super utility guy that plays just about every day um, while maybe not having a true home position um, and I think Jeff McNeil could probably thrive in that role he, he just seems like the type of player that He's got just enough versatility. You probably don't want to see him at shortstop too much, but, um, yeah, you can kind of play him all over. If there's an injury, he can step into a starting role for a little while and, and hold his ground, and you know he's going to hit. I mean, he proved that all last year, um, and he proved that in, again, only, what, 250 plate appearances last year, but, you know, I don't think he'll be quite as good in 2019, but... I think he can definitely be uh, a big and a very valuable part of this team, even in that kind of super utility, super sub kind of role. Now, my preference is for guys to come up through the farm system. I, mm -hmm. I like a Brandon Nimmo. I like a Michael sure. Conforto. And uh, Jeff McNeil, whenever he's been healthy, uh, he's hit. Uh, he missed... Um, large chunks of uh, the two previous years due to injuries mm -hmm. and then came back last year and was healthy but the thing that pretty much shocked anybody was yeah yeah he hit for a good average in the minors but he had power that he had never shown before mm -hmm. and we didn't quite see that in the major league level and one of the things that I was um, you know at least cautiously optimistic about was now with a, a, a season under it or a half a season under his belt in the majors I was curious to see if that power was was going to to join him here this year mm -hmm. and i wonder how this reduced role even if he is that uh, super sub that ben zobris type that you're talking about um if he'll have enough uh, of an opportunity to have that comfort level in the majors and and look to develop his power game i would i would like to think that it would come along sooner rather than later i mean he's going to be 27 next year so it's not like we could say, well, you know, he can kind of have a couple, you know, it's not like he's 21, where you say, okay, down the line, the power's going to come. It's either going to be there now or never. Um, and I think there'll be a certain level of maybe comfortability. That'll have him be more of a doubles kind of guy, but I don't see him being really ever a big home run threat, just because that's not the kind of player he is. I mean, and that's what we saw. He's a shorten up, make contact, and dump a bunch of singles in and uh, 
uh, still can be a valuable player in baseball in 2018 or 2019. But uh, but yeah, he's he's not. I would hope that he doesn't become the guy that starts selling out trying to hit home runs too much. Now, we started off the podcast talking about the big Robinson Cano deal mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of glossed over a little bit. Uh, really, the the key figure in the deal was Edwin Diaz, who yep. had absolutely phenomenal year last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if he doesn't uh, exactly match last year's stats, he, he still got the chance to be a, a top three, top five type of reliever in the game. Um, 100 mile an hour fastball, wipeout slider, pretty nice combination to have. The Mets had so much uh, bullpen uh, troubles after the first couple of weeks of, of the season last year. Uh, do you see them maybe even still looking to add an impact player in, in the bullpen? Uh, you know, you hear talks about uh, Andrew Miller or David Robertson. Do you, do you see a, a move like that in, in the offering for the Mets? I, I, I don't know if they necessarily will, but I think that they kind of have to. I mean, when you look at the teams that have succeeded in the playoffs, especially, or, or even just in the regular season, over the last couple of years, they've all been these teams with these big kind of super bullpens. Uh, you know, if you're the Mets, yeah, Edwin Diaz is a nice start. But, I mean, after that, who are you really afraid of in the Mets bullpen? Uh, Seth Lugo, Rob Gazelman, like, that's not... Those aren't guys that, you know, Tim Peterson, I'm not, I'm not afraid of them. Um, so I think you have to at least kick the tires on Andrew Miller. You have to look into David Robertson. I mean, in an ideal world where you have the budget to go out and sign both of them, you go out and sign both of them. Now, I, I don't know if that's the world that we're living in. Um, it's not. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I think you're right on that. Uh, unless there's, as, uh, as BVW put it today when he was on with Mike Francesa, uh, you know, we're going to need to get real creative. Um, so if they can find a way to get creative and bring those guys in, or at least one of them, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, and I think that that needs to happen. I mean, again, with starting pitching becoming less and less emphasized, um, despite the Mets having really good starting pitching, um, you need to have those bullpens and you need to be four, five, six deep of guys who can come out and, and really bring it on any given night because, yeah, if you use a guy in back-to-back nights, you still might need him that third night, and so obviously he's not going to be available, so you have to go elsewhere. Um, but I'd be, I'd be looking into that if I were the Mets. Um, who knows? I don't know. Francisco Rodriguez had a really great year last year for the Long Island Ducks. Maybe they sign him. <laughs> he, he might be within the the budget now was last year the the year that you were uh, doing the announcing for the ducks uh no that was uh it was two years ago two, um, so you didn't get to see old k-rod up close and personal then i didn't i went to one game as a fan last year and got to see k-rod um i got to see david ardsma was closing games for us that year and uh, and even eric gagne for uh for a short term actually they could sign gagne and I think he's. I think he still wants to try come back. He's only I always like David Ardsman too. Yeah, he was. He was a very nice guy, and I think he was. He was a Met at one point as well. Indeed. Yep. Indeed. 
I would I would not be opposed to bringing him back. But I, I want to um, go back to something that you said uh, earlier, talking about mm-hmm. the relievers, and that's uh, you you kind of dismissed a little bit Seth Lugo, and and I think that he's he, he's certainly somebody who I feel good about when I see him mm-hmm. coming out of the bullpen. And to me, the big question is, do the Mets want to preserve him and use him in two-inning and three-inning stints, mm-hmm. or do they want him to be the primary setup guy for uh, Diaz? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's one thing that, that um, people can disagree on. You, mm-hmm. uh, one person says, oh, he'd be a great eighth-inning guy. Another guy says, well, yeah, but he'll have more value as two or three innings at a time. I guess I can see both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. But I really like Lugo. Yeah, no, I, I like the idea of Lugo as a two or three inning guy, and and again, that's not that's not a knock on him. Two innings could be the seventh and the eighth inning. I mean, it, it could be you know two high leverage innings, and I do trust him as a guy. But when I think of big shutdown relievers, and maybe this is just kind of my own flaw in, in thinking, Seth Lugo's not a guy that that really kind of comes to mind. Good pitcher, serviceable, want to keep him around. I mean, uh, very valuable piece, but I don't know if I'd be willing to kind of, if I were Mickey Calloway, turn the keys over and say, all right, Seth, you're my eighth inning guy for sure this year. Um, I, I kind of like him in that sixth, seventh spot, or, you know, if a start ends up blowing up on someone early, have him come in and, and kind of keep you in the ball game for a while. Now, we heard uh, news in, in Metsland today that certainly caught me by surprise. I don't know if you were as caught mm-hmm. off guard as I was, but that was that Sandy Elderson will be at the winter meetings and uh, essentially looking for a job, hoping to land in another front office somewhere. Um, how does that news strike you? You know, I, it was it was surprising to me as well. I, I did not expect that. I, I guess maybe on a certain level, I expected that maybe at some point Sandy Alderson would try to get back into baseball. But I mean, on the other hand, he is 71, and the reason why he decided to, at least what was publicly given, to step away from the Mets was he was having a lot of health problems. Uh, I mean, if I'm a team, I would take that into consideration if you know I was considering hiring him. Um, you know, is this going to be something that's going to be, first of all, detrimental to his health, uh, you know, kind of coming back into a high-pressure situation in baseball. Um, but that being said, I, I could very easily see him taking on, like, a, a VP or, like, a an advisor to the GM kind of a role. Um, I know that's that's what a lot of kind of guys do. I mean, the Mets just brought in Allard Baird from the Red Sox after he'd been the GM and Kansas City in the early 2000s. Um, I think Frank Wren, the old Braves GM, is up in Boston as uh, as an advisor to Dave Dombrowski. So I, I could see him joining a front office kind of in that regard. Um, but it also makes me wonder how legitimate the reason was that was given to us, uh, that he was stepping away, and, and how much maybe that was legitimately a firing that was just kind of being framed um, in a way that kind of allowed everyone to to save face publicly. Um, Hopefully that's not the case and he's just doing that much better um, in his health that he feels like he can get back into a front office situation. But 
uh, yeah, it, it's a little curious for that reason. I'm glad you said that because since you said that, I don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, but that was certainly the the first thing that jumped into my mind when when I heard that, and it was just like, wow! I thought that uh, his, uh, his 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 health was in in serious question, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, if 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 it truly was the leaving the Mets over his health and, and now he's better, um, I'm extremely happy for him. Mm -hmm. But um, I'd be lying if I said I, I didn't think, uh, ooh, wow, uh, this is this is odd. And then my second thought was, is it too late for him to, to have that uh, senior VP kind of role that you you were just uh, discussing about? Could he fill that for the Mets and maybe whisper in uh, Brody's ear, you know, the uh, Robinson Cano, not such a hot idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because the first thought in my mind was it would be very strange for the previous GM to come in and be an advisor to the current GM. And then I remember that the Mets hired Omar <laughs> Manaya to be an advisor for, uh, for Sandy Alderson last year. So there is precedent for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's it's interesting. I we were we were talking before we started recording this, Brian, about uh, about how I'm going to be heading out to the meetings next week, and if I end up one night seeing Sandy Alderson at some craps table, a couple of drinks in, um, <laughs> I'll try and do some reporting um, and, and figure out what on earth is going on. Well, excellent, uh, and uh, you know, get his contact number, and we'll get him here on the, on the yeah, podcast. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've reached the crazy prediction uh, time of the of the podcast, and uh, I'll give you a crazy prediction and and ask you to weigh in mm -hmm. on it, and then I'll ask you to give uh, me a crazy prediction of your own. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. My crazy prediction is that Zach Wheeler, hopefully for the Mets, will win twenty games in two thousand and nineteen. So how crazy is that? Pretty crazy. Um, Woo! <laughs> for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, partially what we were just talking about with, you know, starting pitchers not really going as much. and But on a certain level, maybe it's not that crazy. But, I mean, you don't see 20-game winners that often. And it requires Zach Wheeler to go probably more than five innings a game. And for the Mets to that score runs. That was not an issue last year. Well, the, yeah. the second one was. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, certainly Wheeler went deeper into games. The, the the biggest reason, of course, you, you hit right away, and, and that's – it, it's tough to, to win 20 games. You, you mm -hmm. make 32 starts. You know, you, you're not going to go 20-0. and 0, You're going to have some losses in there. So you're talking about the overwhelming number of times that you go to the mound – you have to wind up with a decision to get mm -hmm. uh, to get uh, 20 wins. But you know, each, each week I, I come up with a crazy prediction and yep. and uh, I give it, and the, the guest almost always says, "No, nah, I don't think that's crazy." <laughs> and then they never come true. Yeah. And then, and I'm thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? So it, it pleases me that you think my prediction, my crazy prediction, is in fact crazy. Yeah. Right, well, I mean, what the Mets have had two twenty-game winners in the last thirty years, or something like that. Frank Viola and R.A. Dickey. Um, so we, I mean, even in Mets history recently, that's picking any one to win twenty games is uh, is a little crazy. All right, now make me feel good. Call me crazy one more time. Crazy. You're ah. Crazy. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, kind sir, um, what's your crazy prediction? 
crazy prediction. Um, and maybe this isn't too out there, but I think next week the winter meetings, the Mets make a big move, but not one that they not for a player that they've been linked to yet. So uh, I don't think the move is going to be trading Syndergaard. I don't think it's going to be getting JT Realmuto. I don't think it's going to be trading for Corey Kluber. But I think there's going to be a big move made next week. And the reason I think that is just because you got a first-year GM who's kind of an outsider. I mean, sure, he was an agent, but he, he didn't do the the baseball team side of things. And I think Brody's going to go into the winter meetings and say, all right, I need to come here, make a big move, and, and kind of kind of prove to the rest of baseball that, yep, I'm serious, I'm in this, and, uh, you know, you, uh, we're open for business, basically. Um, so that that's kind of my crazy prediction. When you Maybe, first like said I said, that, not that crazy, but... When you first said that, the first thing that jumped into my mind was Manny Machado. But I wonder how you uh, would uh, frame how things have been with the Mets and Machado. Certainly in the blogosphere, there's been a ton of talk linking the two of them. But I don't know mm -hmm. how linked they are in, in the real world. I mean, it seems like everybody has them going to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't see him going to Philly anymore. Um, I think the Gene Segura trade effectively killed that. Um, he said from the start he wants to play shortstop. And they just went out and they traded for a shortstop. So, I mean, where does that leave Philly unless you're, you want to move Gene Secure to second base, um, which maybe maybe is their plan. Um, so I don't really know about Machado. I think the biggest obstacle between getting Machado to the Mets is what then what do you do with Ahmed Rosario? Trading him for JT Romudo is a, a pretty good thing, but... Um, I think that's that's a, an obstacle, and obviously the money. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, if he's looking for $300 million or $250 million, um, that's going to have to come from somewhere in the budget, um, whether it's from some reinvestment of David Wright and Johannes Cespedes' insurance money um, and some other flexibility and trying to trade some dead contracts, but it's it's going to be tough, I think, for that reason to, to get him there. I'd love to have him. I, I really would. Um, I'm not a fan of the not hustling and the spiking and, and that kind of stuff, but there's no denying that he's an exceptionally talented ball player and, and would immediately make the Mets a, a better team than they are. Maybe we could find someone to take Robinson Cano's contract off our hands. Maybe. I mean, that's that's a good... That's a good starting point. Is well. maybe maybe the Marlins want him? Uh, they can have Starlin <laughs> Castro and Robinson Cano. Uh, too funny. Now, um, uh, I, you you brought up the the huge amount of money that Machado will will mm -hmm. um, pull in, and my thinking is he may want to play shortstop, but if the team that uh, is willing to cough up the two hundred and fifty or three hundred million dollar contract wants him to play third base. He'll play third base and be happy about it, is my guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, if he'd be willing to take less money to go to a place to play shortstop, uh, I mean, hey, good for him. But uh, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, the the cash will probably <laughs> will probably talk. You know, if if you want to pay him three hundred million dollars to go 
I don't know, learn center field, I'm sure he'd happily buy an outfielder's glove and, and go start shagging fly balls. So um, that that was your crazy prediction, and, and I guess it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around it completely just because it's it's kind of broad. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, and it's I in would, the abstract, too. I, I, would, I would like for it to be true just because of the fact that the ideas that we've heard so far about who the Mets are, are uh, targeting and who they're potentially trading, I think are so bad that, that I would certainly welcome some big move completely unrelated to anything that we've heard speculated about mm-hmm. in the mainstream media. So I'm rooting for your crazy prediction to come true. Hey, hold on. We seen, uh, Joe, are you there? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'm here. Sorry about that. Just uh, that, that was on my end. I cut out there a minute. Five. So, Apologize for that. Oh, no worries. So I, I was saying I'm rooting for your crazy prediction to come true. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, we touched briefly on uh, Med Rosario um, mm-hmm. potentially being a, a, a trade target, whether or a trade candidate, mm-hmm. um, rumored to be. Uh, one of the guys on the move for Real Muto, and then certainly if the Mets were to, to get Machado, you'd think that they would uh, be uh, even more uh, motivated to, to trade him. So with that as our background, do you see him still as a key piece of the Mets' future? Gosh, it's so hard to say. I would say in the near-term future, yes. The long-term future, Probably not. Um, you know, obviously, Andres Jimenez is in Double A at the end of last year. We'll probably start there again this year and move up to Triple A. Almost said Las Vegas. It's you know Syracuse now, but um, and maybe in best case scenario could be a September call up. Um, he's a twenty, going to be twenty one year old shortstop. So now you're the Mets. You've got two young shortstops who are both kind of in that prospect phase, and and you're going to have to make a decision which one's better. Obviously, the one right now that's better is the one that's in the major leagues, but um, it's kind of hard to hard for me to say whether Rosario's a long-term guy or not just because maybe he is, but then again, you've got this other guy, so it might be foolish to hang on to Rosario when you've got another guy in the high minors pipeline sitting there who could take his position if parting with him means making the team better kind of in the immediate going and you know I said before about how you know Jeff McNeil's played every position he's, he's played a lot of shortstop in the minor leagues you probably don't want to have Jeff McNeil be your everyday shortstop but for a team that played Wilmer Flores at shortstop every day for two years uh, I think they could probably live with playing Jeff McNeil as their everyday shortstop in 2019 until you find out kind of what Jimenez is uh, if you don't go out and make that huge signing of Manny Machado or something like that. So um, for 2019, I see Rosario being in the picture, but past that, it's very questionable about how he develops this year and, and how Jimenez develops this year. 
right, now I want to get back to Rosario in, in, in just a moment, but since you brought him up, I wasn't going to mention Wilmer Flores, but you brought him up, so mm-hmm. the, the subject has been broached. So I, I just want to say that you know I've, I've been giving uh, Brody a, a very hard time tonight here on the podcast, mm-hmm. deservedly so in my opinion, but uh, I do want to give credit where credit is due. He made the absolute right move in, in getting rid of Wilmer Flores. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, let me give a golf clap. Not sure if you can hear my golf clap. Nope. But yeah, no, I got you. That's uh, that's for uh, non-tendering Wilmer Flores, the best mm-hmm. move so far this off season. Yeah, I I agree with you on a, on a certain level. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, it, it was kind of tough because he was such a fan favorite to kind of make that decision, especially when you know it's not going to be a popular one with a lot of fans uh, to end up making. But yeah, at a certain point, you've got to say there's a lot of for lack of a better word, redundancy on the team. And and again, that's probably not the best way of phrasing it, but I mean, when you've got McNeil, a potentially healthy TJ Rivera, Ahmed Rosario, Todd Frazier, now Robinson Cano, I mean, that's that's five infielders right there. He's come out and said Peter Alonso is going to be the first baseman. So that's six. Dominic Smith is going to have to do something. I mean, he's on the 40-man. I mean, you're just you're running out of spots. You know, at, at a certain point, somebody's going to be the casualty of that. And it just happened that Flores was kind of the easiest one to, to kind of let go at the present time. And... Um, and so, yeah, I, I understand the move. I, from a fan standpoint, it's kind of sad to see him go. But I think uh, overall, it was uh, it was a good decision. I mean, we know what Wilmer Flores is at this point in his career, um, and you can replace that kind of production. Um, and it's it's kind of time to to have him cede to to some of the other players. Now. Uh the, the issue with, with Wilmer, of course, was was his offense worth his defense? Mm-hmm. And and at some financial level, the answer to that is yes. Mm-hmm. But at uh, he was uh, projected to, to pull down almost $5 million in arbitration. Mm-hmm. And we saw last year guys who were going to be starters for their team. And um, I'm thinking of uh, Lucas Duda, and I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Logan Morrison, and there's probably two or three other guys who fell in that category who were their team's opening day starting first baseman who were getting $3 million. Mm-hmm. And it's just tough to pay a reserve and, and a guy who, who, quite honestly, is a reserve, $5 mm-hmm. million. So you know, the, 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 the Mets made the, the right decision there. But let's uh, uh, go back to uh, Rosario. I'd say this time last year, I was uh, pretty much on the Rosario bandwagon. Uh, thinking that he was one of the the keys to their their future success, mm-hmm. and and I've retreated from that somewhat. And I don't know if I'm not being fair. Certainly, people will point out, you know, it took Jose Reyes a couple of years to to get established. It took uh, Didi Gregorius a couple of years to be to get established. And you know, we're that instant coffee generation. We want to see results right away, and and sometimes results don't come right away. And but you mentioned you know the top prospect coming up behind him 
and you know that that may end up forcing the deal for Rosario. So he doesn't have, in my opinion, he doesn't have much uh, longer to to prove that he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I certainly don't think he's untouchable um, by any stretch, and and having Gimenez there right in behind kind of gives you that luxury if you're the Mets. Um, but again, uh, to use a phrase that probably Peta won't like, uh, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush or uh, two fed horses or, you know, whatever the, the phraseology that they would like is. But uh, um, I would lean towards trying to keep the guy at the major league level. Uh, if you have to trade one of those two, I'm more comfortable trading Jimenez just because he's more the unproven commodity. Um for all we know, he could just get to AAA and completely flame out and never get out of there. A lot of guys do that. Um, not saying that that would happen, but with Rosario, you've got a guy who has shown improvement at the major league level, has shown he can handle it, um, and so I'd be hesitant to part with him. But uh, but certainly, yeah, by no means is he you know, untouchable in terms of uh, if a team is looking to acquire him in a trade. All right, well, let's see if we can get one more question in here. I want mm-hmm. to talk about my, my buddy, my pal, Zach Wheeler, yep. who uh, ended up being in the uh, the crazy prediction uh, segment. But last year, you know, he got off to, well, he started off in the minors and then came up to the majors and, and wasn't, uh, he didn't exactly set the, the world on fire. And then, like, uh, a, a light switch flipped. And then he was, you know, almost right there with DeGrom as far as effectiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his overall numbers, I think he had 29 starts. So it was right around 28, 29, 30, somewhere in that range. But he, mm-hmm. he pitched a full season, and he had a 331 ERA and a, and a 325 uh, strikeout-walk ratio, which are, are both really, really good numbers. Yep. And do, do you see him being able to, to repeat that over a full season again here in 2019? Yeah, uh, I think he can. Um, just watching him pitch last year, the times that I was able to, you saw kind of a different Zach Wheeler than what you had seen when he first came up and, and over the last couple of years. He looked just so much better and like a different pitcher, uh, and he was just kind of pitching like he was more in command in control, and it's like, hey, this is my game, and not really much you could do about it. Um, and I do see this success as being repeatable. I mean, he's a guy going into the prime of his career, and this is the Zach Wheeler that everyone thought he could be back when he was, you know, in the low minors with the Giants, and then got traded to the Mets for Beltron. Like this is, this was what kind of gave him such a high ceiling and made him such a coveted prospect uh, you know in the Mets organization at that time or at the Giants organization even so you know he, I feel like he's always had this in him um, his secondary pitches and more importantly his command on those secondary pitches has kind of improved and and I think you gotta you know give a tip of the hat to Dave Island for that Um you know, working with a new pitching coach for the first time, he made major strides, and I and I don't think that that's something that can be uh, kind of overlooked in his development. Not a knock on Dan Worthen, but sometimes a different set of eyes see something differently, and and then it just kind of clicks. Um, and I think that that's kind of what happened for Wheeler last year, where 
it finally the flashes of it that we'd seen it finally all came together for for a couple of months there down the stretch and gosh he was just it was just so fun to watch him pitch last year and um and i think that it's certainly something that that he could replicate again going into next year at probably at least the same level um but i maybe i'm a little bullish and i know you obviously are a big zach wheeler guy also but uh but i uh, i i could easily see him kind of repeating what he did uh this past year over uh, over another full season well, there you have it. Not me, the guest, chiming in with uh, Zach Wheeler, going to be a uh, Cy Young Award winner and 25-game winner. Well, <laughs> Joe, thank, thanks so much uh, for, for joining us, and uh, good luck at the, the winter meetings uh, uh, next week. Next week, is that right? Next uh, week, yeah, yeah no, Monday, uh, Monday through Wednesday next week. And uh, where, where are they being held this year? Uh, they are being held in Las Vegas, um, Kind of, kind of funny, but uh, but yeah, they'll be uh, they'll be at Ma- the Mandalay Bay. So if anyone uh, listening to this is is heading out, uh, go enjoy the gambling and debauchery and all the other stuff that goes along with that, and maybe uh, maybe run into me if you recognize me off of I don't know some picture. So just look for Sandy Alderson, and Joe will be the guy trailing hot on his heels trying to get us a, uh, a podcast interview with him. Yes, Joe, that'll be th- me. Thanks so much for, uh, for being on tonight, and uh, best of luck to you. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for having me on, as always. Good night, everyone, and goodbye. <laughs>